Big Finish presents Doctor Who Short Trips The Last Day at Work by Harry Draper Read by Nicholas Briggs It was inside his head again. Bernard Whittam had a feeling that it would be back. He had been waiting for it. In the stillness of the evening, he could hear a wheezing, groaning noise, like somebody breathing down the back of his neck. A harmony that had haunted him for as long as he could remember. He felt the ebb and flow of the noise dampen his sense of being alive, as if, in that moment, he did not even exist. The noise subsided, carried by the gentle wind combing Barnes Common. By now, Bernard had arrived at his destination. They were inside, expecting him. He looked back upon the street, strangely quiet under a rusting sky, just as he had hoped, and stepped inside. The landlady, Beatrice, rang the bell and bellowed at the top of her voice, The man of the hour has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. Oh no, wait, it's only Bernard. A chorus of laughs and cheers rang out from every corner of Oliver's Inn. Bernard bowed obligingly to the familiar faces of his local pub. I'm arresting you all on suspicion of jokes in poor taste, unless the drinks are on the house. He tapped his nose in Beatrice's direction, and she pulled him a pint. The glasses clinked. The kinks sang sunny afternoon on the jukebox. Bernard exchanged words with his fellow officers. The chief constable presented him with his gilded brass badge in a scarlet box. To Bernard, it would serve as remembrance of a path taken with conviction. In this line of work, reaching old age was not to be taken for granted. Marjorie and Arthur had not yet arrived, and he knew that they would be late as usual. But there was only one person Bernard was determined to see that night. Hello, stranger. His face lit up when he heard the voice from behind and turned to see Emma Clark. She beamed as she held him at arm's length, studying his face through her black-rimmed spectacles. Wanting to be alone, they made for a table in the snug. So, this is it. The last time I can call you Constable Bernard Whittam. Bernard considered that statement as he held the box in his hand, You've never called me Constable Bernard Whittam. Oh well, said Emma, struggling to suppress a smile. All those years wasted. Bernard could not suppress his own smile. And how are your volunteers at St John's? They're a handful, replied Emma. We were supposed to be practising resuscitation this morning, but they're mad about that make-up box. The wound dressings, the sugar glass, the lipstick blood. So I indulged them. No harm in pretending to save people, eh? And they've done very well. You have done very well, said Bernard. I mean, after all these years, I haven't walked many folk to the Bridewell. Sometimes I wonder if... He lowered his eyes. Emma, I don't suppose... The door opened. Bernard was cut off by the lilt of a Scottish voice. I only meant it's a pleasant change for the TARDIS to land somewhere it's not so distracting. 
The second voice was low, deep, calming. The TARDIS is never distracting. Bernard was the first to notice them. Free country, he thought. But they were odd. Both of them dishevelled, but not cut from the same cloth. One was a dashing young man in a saffron tunic and tartan kilt. His companion, older and shorter in stature, was an impish figure in a frock coat and checkered trousers, both too large for him. A crooked bow tie loosely hung round his collar. Bernard watched the older man survey the inn. It was as if, to him, everybody was a chess piece, occupying their appropriate place on the board. Do you know them? asked Emma. Bernard turned round to face her again. Uh, sorry? The Scottish lad and the aged George Harrison in the bow tie. You were looking at them as they came in. Bernard shook his head. Never seen them before in my life. I was about to say you seemed almost... Bernard laughed nervously. They're probably from the Amateur Dramatics Society. We're not from the Amateur Dramatics Society, I can assure you, said the aged George Harrison from behind. Bernard turned to see the man in the bow tie looking straight at him, having somehow materialised there. Bernard was about to apologise, but the man was pursing his lips, distracted by deep thought. I haven't seen a show in years, he mused. I should do something about that, shouldn't I? All that shouting at night, it's very exciting. He looked to the Scottish lad. Perhaps I'll take you to the Palace Theatre, Jamie. We're in the right part of London and the right time. Aye, is that where you'd like to go next? The Scottish lad leaned in to whisper to Bernard and Emma. Knowing him, that's the last place we'll get to. The man was indignant. Jamie, there's no need to bother. His attention returned to the bewildered Bernard. I'm so sorry, I didn't offer you a chance to introduce yourselves. Emma was trying not to laugh at the conversation that had locked itself round them like a cage. There was nothing else to do but hold out a hand. How do you do, love? I'm Emma. The man in the bow tie clamped both hands firmly round hers, and with such a gleam in his eyes. How do you do? I'm the doctor. This is Jamie, he indicated the Highlander. And this is Bernard. Emma rested her hands on his shoulders. It's his last day at work. Bernard cleared his throat. Constable, retired. A slither of pride bled into his voice. Come a long way, have you? Not local, I mean. Well, yes, you could rather say that. The doctor patted his companion on the back. Jamie, fetch me a glass of water, will you? Aye, said Jamie, before realising he was being demoted to waiter. Eh? The doctor was already rummaging in his pockets for loose change. Jamie sighed and let him pour the coins into his cupped hands. There you are, Jamie. If I'm right, they'll be in the right currency and have the right dates. Oh, no, said Bernard. Water's free. Beatrice has it on tap, literally. Ah, I see. But what are you doing with that money, Jamie? Pass it back. Tell you what, love, I'll give you a hand. Emma led Jamie in the direction of the bar, leaving Bernard in the company of his new acquaintance. Please, won't you join me, Doctor? I didn't catch your name. 
Thank you. The doctor left his answer at that. Once seated, he began to rummage in his pockets again, cluttering the space between them. A handkerchief, a monocle, a brown leather notebook. I hate empty pockets, he explained. Bernard coughed quietly in the hope of attracting his guest's attention. The doctor, undeterred, continued with his endless hunt. He produced a crumpled bag of jelly babies. Help yourself, the doctor said as he dug deeper. Bernard sighed, becoming more exasperated by the doctor's polite sabotage with every second. Aha! the doctor cheered. At last he had found the desired artefact, which he spun victoriously onto the table. Bernard picked up the device and inspected it for himself. It was a black junction box, its casing riddled with scratches. Suddenly, a tiny light bulb began to flash red, accompanied by a low, persistent beeping. No doubt forged in some munitions factory, thought Bernard. Oh, I beg your pardon, he said, as he passed it back to its rightful owner. Yes, that's it. The doctor's voice purred as he studied the readout of data from a dial on the black box. The bulb continued to flash like a miniature alarm. He put a finger to his chin, pondering once more. Well, I wasn't expecting this. Without warning, the doctor lifted his head and looked straight at Bernard. The old policeman now felt like a chess piece himself. "'What will you have, my lovely?' asked Beatrice from across the bar, rubbing a glass with her cloth. It was the tiny flourishes of modern life with which Jamie McCrimmon struggled. No cry of crégature or a swift cut from his knife to be summoned. The endless list of drinks on the blackboard might as well have been written in ancient Gaelic script for all he knew. What even was a bloody Mary?' Were they barbaric enough to serve tribal sacrifices here? Ah, uh, well, he began, can he make head nor tail of these cocktails? The doctor only wants a wee glass of water. Beatrice considered. You might just be in luck. She gave Emma a wink and went through the door to the kitchen. Jamie sighed. Victoria would have known what to do, or at least would have gently prodded him. Then they could have laughed over how ridiculous it all was. "'End up in a lot of nasty places, do you?' asked Emma gently. Jamie blinked. "'I heard you and your doctor talking about going somewhere pleasant for once. Sorry to be nosy.' "'Oh, aye, we do, but even when they are nice, we never stay too long.' "'Ah,' said Emma. "'You sort of travel about the country then, having little holidays.' Is that what the TARDIS is, your caravan? Well, Jamie began, I'd like to get away from London once in a while. Maybe Dorset could be our first port of call. So you'd be off with Bernard then? asked Jamie, folding his arms, settling down to listen to her. Emma shrugged, suddenly tense. Oh, I don't know about that. Eh? exclaimed Jamie. But this is your chance. Now he's no longer a policeman. There's never been a better time for the two of you to go somewhere nice. Why not? Believe me, Emma, 
You never know when these chances will come along. You never know when they'll pass you by. When I stepped on board the doctor's caravan, I thought I was mad. I thought he was mad. And part of me still thinks that. But I would never have missed it for the world. Emma laughed. You're a character, Jamie. You know that. I... But before she could finish, she was interrupted by a cry of, Arthur! I've found her! Emma, we're here! Two new arrivals were heading in their direction. The leader, a woman a few years older than Emma, was waving madly. The gentleman, presumably her husband, followed close behind, apologising to the other guests for the inconvenience. Emma, Marjorie and Arthur hugged each other and laughed. Jamie, amused and bemused all at once, remained at a distance. This brave new world would never cease to amaze him. In his time, Culloden Moor was ridden with the bodies of his fellow clansmen. His laird would have bled to death had the doctor not saved his life. Only the strongest of the Highlanders would be expected to survive into old age, to impart their wisdom to the lambs like him, born and bred to be sacrificed for honour. But here and now, even with all their years behind them, Jamie could see for himself how alive these people were. Oh, where are my manners? Shot like my memory. Marjorie, Arthur, Emma pushed the Highlander forward. This is Jamie. Marjorie and Arthur both shook him firmly by the hand. We're so proud of our Bernard, Marjorie said as Beatrice fetched their orders. Known him a long time then? asked Jamie. Marjorie laughed warmly. I should jolly well hope so. Bernard won't mind me saying this. Well, he would have been lost without his folks, Emma explained. Jamie regarded the couple and frowned. You're Bernard's parents? For our sins, said Arthur modestly. The drinks arrived. Whilst Arthur offered to pay, Jamie whispered aside to Emma. I didn't wish to be rude, but are you quite sure they're Bernard's mother and father? What makes you ask that? asked Emma. Begging your pardon, but Bernard must be getting on a bit. But his parents look the same age as him. Doesn't that strike you as a wee bit odd? Jamie could see that she was thinking, considering his words, realising. Emma, do you have change for a fiver? asked Arthur taking a crisp note from his wallet. Emma excused herself. Jamie sighed, wondering if any doubt was lingering in her mind, as it was in his. Bernard rolled his badge in his hands, its edges digging into his skin, the metal cold. You say you're a doctor? The doctor was indulging in a spot of rewiring. He was fiddling around in the exposed circuitry of the black box with a screwdriver. He had switched off its alarm. I certainly do my best, he replied, scratching his mop of black hair with the screwdriver. I only ask because... Bernard looked at the empty glass before him, silent. The doctor smiled kindly, as he put down the box and screwdriver, leaned in, planted both hands on the table, and waited. I have a noise in my head, 
said Bernard. I've had it for as long as I can remember. Not constant. It comes and goes. Sometimes early in the day, sometimes later, sometimes both. When it's there, I feel like everything's fading away from me. Or I'm fading out of the world. Of course, I have... I had a job to do, so I would forget, push it to the back of my mind. But now, I've got the rest of my life ahead of me. The doctor considered. What would Emma have to say about this, do you think? I don't know. I must confess, there's so much I want to ask her. I see, said the doctor, peering over the heads of the guests to watch Jamie and Emma at the bar. Then, he brushed the bag of jelly babies and every bit of clutter to the side. I think I can help you, Bernard. He shot him a look, an invitation to trust him. Bernard nodded. I want you to concentrate, the doctor continued. This noise in your head. I know you don't turn it on and off like a tap, but try. Reach for it. Amplify it. What will that do? Oh, I promise you, if you do, I'll be able to hear it as well. I'll certainly do my best. Bernard shut his eyes and concentrated. At last, he could hear it. His voice was a whisper. It's come back. Bernard's breathing fell in sync with the regularity of the rhythm. The doctor traced his index finger round the tip of the glass, sensing the disturbance. His eyes tightened. Bernard could hear him muttering as he tried to articulate what was happening. The doctor ripped a wire out of his black box and held it out before him, a scalpel cutting a precision wound in the air to dissect the noise. If I could just expose the frequency... Ah! Ha! Now the doctor could hear it. A cacophony of wheezing and groaning, which was all too familiar. The rise and fall of a technological pulse, the signature of ancient engines, grinding like the movement in a clock, the beating heart of his TARDIS. Except it was screaming. And when he looked up from the device and at his patient, the doctor could see that the TARDIS's screams of pain were bonded to every breath that fled Bernard's lips, one voice trapped within another. Jamie was heading back to their table, glass of water in hand. Doctor, I need to talk to you. There's something very strange going on. The doctor leapt from his seat, lurched backwards and collided with his friend. Jamie's hand released its grip. Shards of glass lay splayed from the pool of water on the tiles. Bernard's eyes opened as he gasped for breath. The noise died out in an instant. The guests turned their heads in unison and stared at the doctor, Jamie and Bernard. Hey, what are you playing at? Jamie tugged at his friend's baggy sleeves. The doctor bowed his head, his face hidden from the light. Bernard knew that look. He had done the same thing when stepping through the doorway of Number 4 Windsor Gardens and breaking the news to Mrs. Moore of her husband's death. Never before or since had he felt so powerless. 
the doctor simply said, If a tree falls. Bernard rose and smiled. It's all right, everyone, nothing to see here. Beatrice nudged the barmaid, who hurried over to deal with the mess. The guests murmured and whispered to one another, asking about the strange man in the bow tie. The doctor and Jamie watched as Bernard crossed over to the bar and reassured his parents that there was no reason to worry. With his towering stature and air of authority, Bernard could have passed for a complete stranger to them had he not placed a gentle hand on Marjorie's shoulder as he spoke. Bernard's mother and father, Jamie explained. Then it's worse than I thought, was the doctor's reply. Bernard returned to address them both. You've caused quite a stir, you know. I should ask you to leave, but you heard it, didn't you? The noise in my head. You know what it means, the doctor nodded and motioned towards the door. I can show you, if you'll allow me, Mr Whittam. Only Emma saw the door shut behind them. Barnes Common was serene, the sun long since set. Bernard maintained a measured pace as he walked behind the doctor and Jamie. He wanted them both where he could see them. At each corner, the doctor would stop and guide Bernard's path. Suddenly, the doctor held up a hand to signal that they had reached their destination. All Bernard could see before him, exposed by the light of a street lantern, was a battered police box. Strange that. He had never noticed it there before, and he usually patrolled the common with such purpose. But it was missing from his memory. He approached it cautiously which struck him as ridiculous. What did he have to fear from a pillar of the establishment? Jamie was about to speak, but the doctor lifted an arm to hold him back. Bernard felt certain that he was being invited, without the doctor speaking a single word, to inspect the box for himself. So he obliged. Nothing out of the ordinary. And yet he was compelled to plant a hand on the phone hatch. Through his palm, he felt something like a breath exhaling from within, passing through his whole body. He could hear a grind and roar of vast power in protest. He snatched his hand away, and silence fell. It was alive. That was the only way Bernard could describe it. Before any utterance could reach Bernard's lips, the doctor produced an ordinary Yale key from an inner pocket and slotted it into the lock. At the slightest pressure, the right door to the police box opened. Bernard searched the doctor's countenance for any reassurance. Nothing. So he peered inside. Beyond the doorway lay a darkness, the interior cloistered in shadow. From where Bernard was standing, it seemed endless. But now the silence was displaced by a heavy thrum, ambient and harmonic, from inside the police box itself. He remembered watching Yuri Gagarin on the news back in 61, 
how he had found himself snatched from the blue light of the earth and abandoned to the recesses of deep space. Only when Jamie put a hand on his shoulder did the old policeman know that he could enter the police box. All three of them walked inside, from the blue to the dark. Bernard left the blackness behind, passing through the heavy doors which opened into an impossibly vast space. The chamber bloomed with blinding light, spilling out as far as he could see, contrary to the physical dimensions of the police box. All around him, towering walls adorned with regularly indented roundels sealed him off from the outside world. In the corner of the ceiling, a monitor no bigger than a television set was hung. A six-sided desk was mounted at the heart of the chamber. Spread across its panels was an eclectic mix of buttons and switches. The doctor left Bernard and tended to the desk. Jamie remained by his side. Dinny worry, said the young man to the old. We knock about through time and space in the TARDIS like it's a caravan. It's wonderful, exclaimed Bernard as he surveyed the internal architecture, mesmerised. Jamie advanced upon the doctor. He kept his voice low. He's something to do with this time disturbance thingy you were talking about before, isn't he? The doctor flipped a switch on the console. He frowned intently and nodded confirmation. Jamie folded his arms and averted his eyes. I... I'm not as daft as you think. Mr. Whittam, said the doctor at last, when and where did you first hear this noise? A few years ago, replied Bernard. Late at night, I was doing my usual beat. I thought you said you've heard this noise for as long as you can remember, interrupted the doctor. Where, precisely? Totter's Line. The doctor sighed. Five years ago, in 1963. That's right, said Bernard. How did you know? Oh, it's quite simple. That's how old you are. I beg your pardon, Bernard laughed nervously. But five years ago, come off it. I have a whole past, a whole life. I've got memories to prove it. Like watching Gagarin in 1961? The doctor pointed to the scanner. Bernard looked up, and there was Gagarin on the screen, clambering inside the Vostok 1 rocket capsule. It was just as Bernard remembered watching it on the BBC, shrouded in crackling static. Just as he remembered so much of his past, all those moments in time that existed in his mind, and now they were appearing on the scanner as well, his whole life being laid out before him, running along the coast with Marjorie and Arthur, meeting Emma for the first time, wandering through the fog into an old junkyard. And then, before he could know what was happening, Bernard's body pulsed with the same static as that which appeared on the scanner. He flickered in and out of existence rapidly, a candle flame being snuffed out again and again. His mouth formed the shape of a scream, but the only sound to issue from his throat was the wheezing, groaning noise, free at last but refusing to release Bernard from its grasp. 
Doctor, cried Jamie. He's being torn apart. The Doctor took hold of the radial arm of the circuit and gave it a violent twist. The image on the scanner cut out. Bernard fully rematerialized in the TARDIS control room. He held out his hands, frantically checking that he was once more solid. When he looked up and saw the Doctor, he stepped back, keeping away from the man at the controls. When he spoke, he was grateful to hear his own voice again. What did you do? It was the only way to show you, the Doctor answered. This is a camouflage unit, the chameleon circuit. Its purpose is, was, to disguise the TARDIS, depending upon its surrounding environment. I arrived in London in 1963. It disguised itself as a police box. But, well... The doctor twiddled his fingers and thumbs, his childish guise of embarrassment betraying shame. The circuit got stuck. I've been meaning to repair it, but I must confess. You've always been fond of the old police box, finished Jamie. I didn't realise the damage that had been done, said the doctor imploringly. Because, you see, the circuit expanded its definition of a perfect disguise. And what's a police box without a policeman? Bernard glared at the doctor in disbelief. You're part of the disguise, Bernard. The chameleon circuit created you. And ever since I left Earth, you have engineered a whole past for yourself, embedded yourself into the fabric of reality. This is all an accident. And Mum and Dad, said Bernard. And Emma? The doctor lowered his voice. Do you ever feel like the people you know, the people you love, have fallen out of the world simply because they're not with you? If a tree falls and no one is around to hear it... Jamie stepped between the two men. He pointed a finger at the doctor accusingly. Oh, never an answer when you need one. I've had enough of your riddles. The doctor smiled sadly. Yes, I'm afraid they're part of the fiction as well. The doctor addressed Bernard. They exist because you will them to exist. And that's why we're here. You are the catalyst of a divergence in time which brought us here. The whole course of history is already being rewritten. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to put an end to it, Bernard. You can't do that, pleaded Jamie. We must do something to help Bernard. He's flesh and blood like you and me. We could take him with us in the TARDIS. The doctor shook his head. Bernard is no longer a single entity. Wherever he goes, he integrates himself into reality, convincing everybody, even himself, of his own cover story. That's his function. There's nowhere he can run. 
and it has to be his choice. He glanced hopefully at Bernard. Well? With clenched fists, Bernard paced round the control room. The doctor and Jamie watched as he roamed his stage. The empty space between the doors and the heart of the TARDIS, the gulf between his destiny here in the space-time machine and the world out there. The world he was being asked to leave forever. He stopped, looked at the doctor and Jamie and said, No. I'm sorry, scolded the doctor. I said no. I'm real. I'm alive. And I'm staying. Rage flared across Bernard's countenance. What right do you have to play God? To just turn me on and off like that? Never mind me. What about all those people, all those lives you want to tear apart? Even the TARDIS, usually thrumming with energy, fell silent. The truth is, said the doctor at last, we've both been playing God haven't we? By accident. Whenever you needed someone, there they were. You could never bring yourself to let Marjorie and Arthur go. You won't let them age or die. Nor could you risk losing Emma in those five years. And what you have to ask is, what would she want? Bernard knew she was coming. He only had to turn and look, and there she was, a ghost drifting through the doors of the TARDIS and into the control room. She became corporeal, solid, real again, when she held his hands. Hello, stranger. She looked all round her in wonder. Wow, she said. Isn't this incredible? Bernard bowed his head, his face hidden from the light. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. Yes, you do. Emma and Bernard rested their heads upon one another's. She kissed him. He kissed her back. When he opened his eyes, Bernard saw that his clothes had changed. He had now donned his police uniform. But there was something missing. He took his badge out of his pocket, pinned it to his chest and nodded satisfied with his work. Emma laughed and straightened his collar. Bernard faced the doctor and Jamie. Move aside, please. Stunned, the doctor and Jamie nonetheless obeyed. Emma reached for Bernard's hand. They walked to the console and grasped the chameleon circuit. Emma, Bernard, are you sure about this? Oh, Jamie, laughed Emma. Such a charmer. But I think we... We shall simply stop, said Bernard. Stop in the name of the law. Together, they pulled the radial arm of the circuit into position. The TARDIS engine swelled, sensing the ripples reverberating through space and time, knowing that things were being put right. Content... Emma locked arms with Bernard and lay her head on her gentleman's shoulder. He smiled. Then he remembered. Thank you, Doctor, 
And with that, Emma Clark and Bernard Whittam walked towards the doors, towards a sunset only they could see. They began to fade away. And then, they were gone. It's over, said the doctor. He wrenched a lever on the console. Jamie walked after him through the doors and out onto the common. It was last orders before closing time. One by one, the guests drifted out of Oliver's Inn and into the heavy rain. Beatrice remained at the bar, drying the glasses. She would be there for quite some time, but she didn't mind. She loved the calm that follows a great storm. Except she was puzzled. What had she been laughing about earlier that night? Who was it that dropped that drink? Come to think of it, why had there been so many packed into the inn tonight? She knew in her heart that the evening had been one of joy and celebration, but it was already fading from her mind. From the corner of her eye, Beatrice noticed two men standing in the rain and looking through the window. They waved to her, and she found herself waving back. Before she could make out their faces, they were gone. She sighed and carried on drying the glasses. The doctor and Jamie walked back to the TARDIS. Above them, the black firmament, the stars glinting. Jamie stood in the cold and stared at them for a while, wondering. What are you thinking? he asked the doctor. If a tree falls and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? Jamie could see the doctor's breath in the cold of the night. I'm particularly sensitive to time. We have a unique relationship. Bernard and Emma did the right thing. And so did you. I won't forget that, you know. The doctor patted Jamie on the shoulder. Come along. It's time we were off. A few moments later, there was a wheezing, groaning noise, and then the old police box was gone.